In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. And in this episode, I'm welcoming back to the show for a second time, the redeemed Zoomer. Now, in this episode, all we're pretty much gonna do is disagree. Richard is redeemed Zoomer's first name. He holds to theistic evolution. He believes that God created the world uh, by utilizing death, that death actually entered into the created cosmos long before Adam sinned. Um, I would strongly and vehemently disagree, and you'll see the two of us pushing back on precisely that topic. Is evolution true? Is it compatible with the Bible, with Christian theology? Or is evolution a lie from the pit of hell? That would be my view, the latter, and uh, that's not the view of the redeemed Zoomer. So we will argue and hash it out in this episode of Theology Applied. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. Yeah, do you have any questions about what I believe theologically? Because like, I... Well, Don't. it sounds like, I mean, you're Presbyterian, so I assume you uh, yeah. uh, adhere to Presbyterian polity. You're Reformed in your soteriology. Uh, mm-hmm. I assume you have Calvin's view of uh, the sacraments, of, you know, spiritual presence. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah. anything you want to share, go for it. Yeah, so the, um, the, the bad thing that I believe is I believe in evolution as well. Um, so that's one of oh, the things. Oh, you do. That I okay. All right. Yeah, well, it's always that. nice to. I, I wish you led with, "Hey, I'm a heretic." But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing a debate sometime this winter with Keith Foskey on evolution. I already did a debate. Oh, you with are him. okay. Cool. Yeah, I already did a debate with him on infant baptism. Um, so, like, there still is a bit of PC USA in me. Um, I believe in evolution. Also, something I believe in that I think doesn't get talked about enough, I believe strongly in kingdom theology, that there's continuity between this age and the age to come, and all good things of this world will be restored. I yep, utterly I, I hold to that as well. You're probably aware. I utterly despise the view that the new heavens and the new earth is going to be, um, this world's going to get utterly nuked, and the new heavens and the new earth is going to be something completely different. Um, in reality, it's going to be different, but the same. It's like, yes, there will be an end to this physical creation in some sense, but the next one is going to be an updated version of this one. Um, so it's it's not wrong when the Bible says there, it'll be destroyed by fire, but it, it's a purifying fire. I don't think God is going to destroy anything he has made. With that said, I'm not a universalist. I don't believe in universal salvation, but I believe in the salvation of the universe. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I'm with you 100% on that. Um, I Yeah, I don't believe I'm uh, uh, that the the earthly cosmos is going to be annihilated or disintegrated. Um, I Same with you. Uh, fire, I think, purifies. Uh, you know, th- th- there was a purification first by water, then by fire. Um, but every, yeah, I think every good work, um, every good endeavor that it uh, has, uh, that there's an eternal um, value there. I think that we're going to the new heavens on the new earth. It's not another earth, but this earth made yeah. new and uh, that we will see the Alps. Uh, it'll be a glorified Alps. It's not going to be a different world or a different mountain range, but a, a glorified Alps, glorified rivers, glorified. And we're going to be able to look around and say, 
I know this place. It's similar to like Narnia and C.S. Lewis, you know, except I'm not, you know, I don't like that he's, it's all in Plato is one of the lines that, you know, in the last battle, uh, when they enter into the, you know, the new Aslan's country, the new Narnia, they're like, I yeah. recognize this, but this is Narnia, you know, and they're like, it's all in Plato. And so, but then, you know, they're using that to talk about forms and I, w- I would be more on the, you know, well, Aristotle kind of side of thing. I, I don't think that, you no. know, that the tr- the truest, you know, that, that earth is only real because it exists somewhere else, you know, and this is just, you know, a form of it. But anyways, but that, but that basic concept, yeah, I think that the new heavens and the new earth will be here. It'll be this earth made new and, um, and what we do actually matters. It's going to be redeemed. I don't think that, you know, all creation groans with eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. Van Druden and some of the Westminster Escondido guys, they say that, you know, the creation oh, is... Ew. That they're basically, basically the creation is just groaning for a mercy killing. It wants God to take it out behind the shed and put it down. And uh, and I don't think, I don't think that's yeah. it. I think creation is it's groaning because it it's eager to be restored alongside uh, the sons of God. But real quick, let's go let's go back to evolution. So I know I'm, yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with this, um, but I, I do think evolution is a massive massive problem. So I, d- I don't want to be too comical about it because I think I think it matters. That's fair. But uh, that's fair. Theologically, uh, this is what I'll say, and then and I'm just curious to hear your take because uh, I know that this this won't be novel for you. I'm sure you've heard it before. Um, some of my problems with evolution, some of my biggest problems, is just what um, what it does theologically to the gospel. The idea that um, um, if if death is God's instrument uh, in creating the world, um, then you know death was uh, you know kind of that um, death was alive and well. Uh, long before sin entered the world. Uh, so for me, um, you know, uh, uh, thinking of Romans 5, you know, through one man sin, Adam, the first Adam, uh, death entered the world through sin. And uh, by the final Adam, the second Adam, Christ, uh, by his obedience, um, you know, then we have this reversing, you know, his, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Um, and so for me, that, that's one of the biggest problems is that what you have with evolution is you have Adam and Eve standing on top of a mountain of, you know, billions, if not trillions of skulls oh, yeah. and not single-celled uh, organisms. I'm fine with mitigated entropy, just for the record. I think leaves died in the garden before they sent, right? I think that, you know, there was bacteria and amoeba and things like that. So mitigated entropy is fine. I think that's God's design, even in a prelapsarian world. But we're not talking about that. We're not talking about single-celled organisms or leaves dying. We're talking about humanoid, you know, all the way up to Homo erectus and then Homo sapiens, you know, just just whole swaths of them, dead, 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 dead. And then Adam and Eve, you know, are standing on top of a mountain of skulls and God finally breathes his spirit into them and gives them a soul, you know, and now um, we have, you know, humanity and then Adam sins and well, the consequence for sin is death. And which I feel like Adam would probably have a, a difficult time comprehending because he'd be like, you mean death? You mean that this mountain that I'm standing on with all these skulls? That thing that that was already alive and well for millions of years before I was ever even born, much less sinned. So what's so bad about that? So that, that, that would be one of my major objections to evolution theologically. I think it, that yeah. it, it messes with the gospel. Never heard that one before. Um, so what's the what was the tree of life for? What was the tree of life for? So I, I hold to um, that there was actually, it was a probationary period. Um, so I, I don't hold that uh, Adam and Eve were eating of the tree of life on a daily basis, but rather it would have been extended to them after uh, the completion of a probationary period of resisting uh, sin. I, 
I would agree with that. But what did it do? Like what, what would have happened if they had eaten it? It, it would have made them immutable. So all they had to do to live forever. So I'm going to uh, just juxtapose forever life and eternal life here. So to live forever, they actually didn't need to eat of the tree of life. They just needed to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, mm -hmm. So, and they would have lived forever. Uh, so the tree of life uh, did not give uh, Adam, um, it would not have given Adam forever life. Uh, instead, what it would have done is it would have given him eternal life. And I'm using that the way I'm using eternal and forever and, you know, distinguishing the two is immutability, that it would have brought him to a state of immutability where he would be unable to fall. Yeah, that, that's an interesting way of putting it. I believe there was death before the fall. I think that there's a few reasons. I know there's the objection sin entered through Adam. So I think the tree of life, it the it says that if adam had eaten from it he would not die i think the implication there is that adam was mortal and the way to avoid dying was he could have eaten from the tree of life he was offered immortality and he rejected it in favor of sin uh, i think that's kind of the big deal about the fall and also darkness was present in the creation from the very beginning it says mm -hmm. that the light was good and separate was separated from the darkness so eden was good it was not perfect uh, God has always been able to bring good out of evil. Now, there is the problem if sin entered through Adam, um, then how was there sin before that? Well, we know there was already evil because Satan was already there. The fall of Satan was before the fall of Adam. So, yes, I think God allowed sin and God allowed sin to enter because of Adam. The very next verse after that verse in Romans where it says sin entered through Adam, it also says grace entered through Christ. But that grace applied chronologically to people way before Christ. Right. Likewise, I think the sin brought through Adam can apply chronologically to people way before Adam. So I don't think the fall of Adam chronologically was the entrance of sin and evil into the world. I think the devil sowed bad seed into the world from the very beginning. There was darkness from the very beginning, which, you know, God is outside of time. You could still say that's allowed because of Adam's sin. Uh, the, the fall was Adam siding with the devil rather than siding with God turning down eternal life and siding with the devil instead. So I don't think that contradicts any classical soteriology at all. So you think that, um, let me think. The difference between the devil's sin and Adam's, uh, at least one difference, several, but one difference would be federal headship. So um, Satan, Lucifer did not have um, federal headship over the created cosmos. So his sin uh, is irrelevant in the sense of, uh, it does not bring a curse to bear on the created cosmos. Um, so Satan sinning uh, affects Satan, uh, but even that's an, that's another interesting thing in terms of angelic beings. There's no federal headship among angels. Uh, so Satan's fall doesn't cause uh, the created earthly cosmos to fall. It doesn't create uh, or cause or necessitate uh, an angelic other angelic host falling. Um, it just Satan rebelling against God affects Satan. Uh, that's it. Uh, Satan falls. Uh, what's key, uh, integral, is uh, Satan getting Adam to actually sin because Adam is the federal head of not just you know Eve and all their posterity, but um, you know curses the ground because of you. Uh, the dirt gets cursed. The whole the whole enchilada, the whole you know created cosmos. Uh, Adam was federal head over all of that. So uh, yes, I, I think you're right chronologically that uh, the sin of Satan um, predates the sin of Adam, uh, but Satan's sin doesn't cause anyone to fall but him. Uh, he has no federal headship. He's not a father. Um, you know, he, right. he is the father of lies, but he's not a father of any creature. Uh, he, he has not created anything, and so he's not representative of anything. So, um, so I don't think that, you know, so Satan 
uh, sinning before Adam, uh, I don't believe brings any any uh, curse of sin or darkness into the world. Whether or whether or not there was darkness uh, doesn't necessitate that that darkness was evil. I don't think there was evil in the world before Adam. I don't think Satan had that, that, that authority. I, he doesn't have federal headship to bring evil into the world or subject the world to evil. I would agree that the fall of Satan itself is not what brought darkness into the world. But in the book of Job, we see God permits Satan to bring evil things into the world if the greater purpose is testing humanity or something. And the Bible also says Satan and his evil forces have dominion over the world. Now, so because Adam gave it to them. Right. But I don't think it's chronologically necessary to say that that dominion began the moment Adam ate of the fruit. I think you could easily say that the dominion was there before that. And God allowed that because God God knew what Adam was going to do. God knew Adam would sin. Um, it's, it's a very reformed thing to say. <laughs> so you're saying that. that before Adam sinned, because God simply knew in the mind of God, so speaking of logical order, um, like a you know super lapsarian kind of, which exactly. I am super lapsarian, but you're saying that because God simply knew in the mind of God that Adam eventually would sin, uh, that the dominion that God gave to Adam as viceroy over um, the earthly creation had already transferred to Satan chronologically before Adam actually committed that sin? I wouldn't say that the dominion transferred. I would say that if Adam had eaten from the tree of life rather than the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if Adam had obeyed God, then Adam would have immediately taken the whole creation from Satan. It'd be game over. And then it'd be, you know, eternal life, kingdom of God here on earth right now all that stuff. So if he had eaten of the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would have taken, is what you just said, he would have taken yeah. the creation, the created order from the devil. Um, so you're presupposing that uh, that the created order starts off as the devil's. He just has it for some reason. I guess my question is why? Why, why, does, why does he just by default get the created order? Why is it his? I think it's, so he didn't create anything but I think he's had an influence from the very beginning because we see darkness and chaos before light. Chaos is objectively bad. Uh, Satan is the father of chaos. God is the father of, you know, order. Um, so it's the same reason God allowed any evil at all. God is glorified in defeating evil. God brings light out of the darkness. The most evil thing ever was the death of God. But the best thing ever that happened was the resurrection of God. That's kind of the the entire story of the Bible. Like, I think there's a difference between a Calvinist and an Arminian answer to theodicy. The Arminian answer would be God allows evil because something, something free will. And the problem with that is, okay, will we have, if free will is necessary, could we screw it up again in the new heavens and the new earth? Right. That's a big problem. The right. Calvinist answer, which solves that problem is uh, God allows evil because he's glorified in defeating it. God allows Satan to fall the same reason uh, George Lucas allows Darth Vader to fall. God is glorified in defeating evil. So Amen. Why, why did God allow Satan to have an influence in the creation from the very beginning? God is glorified in defeating um, God is glorified in defeating Satan. God could have done that through Adam, but Adam sinned. So God came down himself and did it himself so he could be even more glorified. So I'm with you 100% in terms of God allows evil and even ordains, according to the Westminster Confession yes. and, well mainly Westminster, uh, but, you know, all that takes, uh, all that, uh, I forget the exact language, but it's all that comes to pass. Whatsoever uh, comes to pass. Yeah, whatsoever, whatsoever comes to pass has been ordained yes. by God. So 
Um, anything that God allows, uh, I mean, it's just semantics. If we say, well, he allowed it, but he didn't ordain it. No, he, he ordained it. And that includes evil. He doesn't create uh, evil, but that's because evil is not a creation. It's a lack of substance. That's right. Uh-huh. Just like cold is a lack of heat. So yeah, yeah, 100%. So God doesn't create, he's not the origin of evil. Uh, he does not do evil. He does not create evil. He's not the origin of evil, but he absolutely ordains evil. Um, uh, not merely allowing, but his allowing is ordaining. Um, so I'm with you 100% in that general, if we're talking about just that general concept of God's sovereignty over evil. Um, where I lose you is, uh, I, I think you just, I, you would need to make a stronger argument. So you keep saying that, you know, the, the devil had influence over the creation, over the created cosmos. And, uh, but the only, you know, way that you're substantiating that is just by the mere, you know, presence of darkness or chaos, you know, the spirit hovering above the waters, there was darkness, you know, those, those kinds of things. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that, you know, even when, when all six days are done, um, you know, so initially, of course, the, the earth is void and without form. Um, and so, you know, because there's a process of creation, God works through processes and, um, and that's his prerogative to do so. And he has good and holy purposes for doing that. You know, he could have just spoke it all into existence, but he does it over a six day period. Uh, there's a process, but even when the process is complete, uh, there's still, um, wilderness. Um, I, like, I don't think the Sahara desert is merely a result of the fall. Um, I think that there were deserts, um, in in the world, even when God looks at the whole world and says, it is good. Um, and that that was, you know, that Adam had an eschaton is, I guess, what I'm getting at. And I think you and I would agree uh, with that. So if Adam had never fallen, uh, if he had never sinned and transferred uh, dominion over the earthly cosmos to uh, Satan, uh, his eschaton, part of what that would have been was um, working and keeping the garden, working, I take that to mean um, that, that built into working, um, it, it assumes um, expansion, building, increase, that by working faithfully in the garden, the garden would have eventually have increased. And and right there, the implication is, uh, it's important for us to recognize that all the creation, I think, was good, um, but it was not all equally good, uh, that the garden was uh, superior to the rest of creation. And so there's a garden paradise, but there are other places that are not um, subdued, that are not um, uh uh, paradise and and then some places that are desolate like like deserts uh, and eventually what Adam would have done in his working capacity uh, is expand the garden over the whole face of the earth including deserts and I think we're I think that's something that we're we're going to do the the new Adam his he's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found I believe in human history before uh, Christ's final physical return that there will be no deserts um, on the earth anymore. And uh, I think part of the key there is primary water and I got to get really weird for that and I won't. So, um, but, you know, but tapping into primary water, getting under the surface, boom, you know, and maybe we do it with Mars too. So, but the, the point is that, you know, getting rid of, you know, um, beautifying and cultivating the whole earth, that's the working. And then the keeping is the defense. It's, you know, so sword and trowel like Nehemiah and, you know, Ezra, um, the sword only exists to serve the trowel. You don't need a sword if you're not building, um, because if you're not building, you're not a threat and you won't be under attack. So you only need a sword to defend, um, uh, the work that you're actually producing. And so I think Adam was to work and keep expanding the garden and then keep it. He failed in that capacity. Um, but all that being said, my, my point is um, even before the fall and before Ad Adam sinned, um, the fact that there were desolate places or wilderness or this or that, um, I, I don't think that necessitates evil. Um, I, I think that that, uh, or, or the influence of Satan or Satan having some kind of authority over the created cosmos, I think all that um, necessitates is that God had a process of, in the same way that uh, he, you know, the process began in the first six days of God's creation, void, without form, 
you know, spirit hovering above the waters, and then, you know, that cultivates and culminates, is, is what I'm trying to say, and becomes greater and greater and greater, and more, you know, it's three days of, of, of creating, uh, and, and then separating, and then three days of filling, um, it is what we see in this creation pattern, and I think that pattern would have just continued under uh, Adam's, Adam's dominion, under his reign, and eventually every single desert gets filled in, and the whole world becomes a garden, and none of that uh, necessitates, um, uh, you know, th these void places or desolate places, evil in my assessment. All right. Everybody's been asking, can I live stream your conference? And the answer is a resounding no, you will be there in person or you will not be there at all. I'm just kidding. You actually can live stream the conference. We're excited to announce we're making it available to anybody and everybody who wants to watch this conference right as it's happening, which is March 1st and 2nd. That's a Friday and Saturday of 2024. What conference am I even talking about? It's called Blueprints for Christendom 2.0. We've got Pastor Douglas Wilson. We've got Dr. Joe Boot. We've got Brian Sauvey. We've got Eric Kahn. And then, of course, yours truly, Joel Webbin. We've got seven primary sessions in the conference, each one being probably 50 to 60 minute long uh, sessions, lectures, sermons, whatever you want to call them, and then two live panels, each being an hour and a half long. Now, one of the panels is on biblical patriarchy. We're going to have uh, Pastor Douglas Wilson available for that panel, and we decided to get Eric Kahn, because Eric Kahn, biblical patriarchy, let's just be honest, it's a sensitive topic, but Eric Kahn, I think, is known as one of the most nuanced, careful, and sensitive individuals, especially on the Twitter streets. So we're going to have him as a part of that panel. It'll go really well. Then the second panel is Haunted Cosmos live show. You've got Brian Sauvey and Ben Garrett talking about the most unhinged things imaginable, hopefully some things that are actually truthful. Now, th th there will be some truthful things. You're going to stick to scripture, and when they speculate, and you know they will, they'll at least let you know that it's speculation, and they won't pass it off as though it's in the infallible word of God. So, live stream this conference. How do you do it? Go to patreon.com forward slash right response ministries. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash right response ministries. A lot of guys charge 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 80 bucks. We are asking that you would simply partner with us for $10 a month. And let's be real, you could do it one month, live stream all the content, and then cancel your subscription. And if you do, no harm, no foul. If you wanna stick with us and support this ministry, what God's doing through Right Response, then praise God, that's great, and we thank you. Either way, technically, it's only 10 bucks. Did you know that fresh American black elderberries are naturally high in vitamin C, vitamin B6, phosphorus, and vitamin A, as well as many anthocyanins that serve as antioxidants? Regular supplementation with elderberry extracts has been shown to decrease chance of influenza and lessen cold duration and symptoms. The King's Ridge Fresh Frozen Elderberries are hand-picked, de-stemmed, washed, and quickly frozen at their family farm in East Central Indiana. The King's Ridge is a quality-oriented family farm focused on building Christendom. Our friends Trevor and Autumn truly hope that their elderberry syrup and fresh frozen elderberries bless your family this cold and flu season. Don't buy dried European elderberries and support the global economic agenda. Instead, visit tkrfarm.com and purchase your elderberry needs from the Kings Ridge elderberries. Again, that's tkrfarm.com. So you admitted that evil is not a substance. It's a, it's a lack of good. Evil is like cold and good is like heat. 
So in that sense, um, you can't say that something is less good without saying it's more evil. There's the way you can't say something is less hot without saying it's more cold. I think well, that, okay. So, so getting philosophically, if we're talking about, you know, the evil is something that's created that's not fulfilling its purpose and glory for something to be glorious, it's fulfilling the purpose for which it was designed. Um, I think, you know, deserts were created by God and that he created no bad thing. Um, so I think that God created deserts, um, that deserts are inferior. They, they pale in comparison to garden paradises, um, but that a desert is not evil um, because a desert is is a desert um that's that's what it's it, it is deserty it is is fulfilling its desert function right so um this is going to sound kind of bardy and i think he was right about this but anything that is by by nature being finite anything that is finite is in some sense a little bit evil compared to god so that way the only way for god to be reconciled to the finite creation is a form of theosis through christ where all of creation partakes of God's infinite perfect goodness through the incarnation. That's why Bart was a super lapsarian in saying that the incarnation is absolutely necessary. Even if Adam had not sinned, Jesus still would have had to have incarnated into this world for the sake of reconciling God to creation. Okay. Bring that uh, back to the, so, so apply that for me to right. so because of creation, that, evolution. Say, because of that, you can say that you can assume that if there's darkness, darkness equals evil. I, I think uh, the in conjunction with the fact that the tree of life, I think, implies that death was the norm before that. That in conjunction with there being darkness and chaos um, in the very beginning, I think that implies that yes, there was evil. There was not only was Satan there, but Satan had some sort of influence before the fall. Um, it says like the, the serpent was the serpent was more crafty. It, clearly, the, the serpent wasn't born yesterday. Clearly, he had already been active. I think all those in conjunction. It doesn't make a conclusive case. It doesn't uh, make a case such that I can say someone's being unbiblical if they don't agree with this. Definitely leaves over the pot leave, leaves open the possibility for evolution. And I think evolution is actually a beautiful picture of the gospel. It is life out of death. It is light out of darkness. The resurrection is the ultimate example of good being brought out of evil. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Genesis 50, where it says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Satan meant all this death for evil. God brought good out of it. The whole reason God allows evil is because he's glorified and bring good out of it. I kind of converted to Christianity the night that I realized God brings good out of evil because the problem of evil was kind of the reason why I was doubting God. Why I Even though I believe in a deistic God, I refused to submit to any sort of um, real interactive God. So that's just for me why I think evolution is a possibility. Um, not only possibility, I th it makes the most sense to believe in evolution. I think it makes most sense with the biblical narrative. I don't think it's conclusive, but it's something I believe in. I also think, you know, the it's naturally revealed that um, evolution is true. That's a whole different debate. There's really two debates, whether um, whether we can justify it theologically, whether we can justify it scientifically, I would say, I'd say affirmative to both. But even so, that's just one of the things I believe. Um, I I believe in certain modern, you know, evolutionary neo-Orthodox ideas, but only insofar as they're compatible with, you know, historic Christianity, with Westminster, with all that. And you think evolution is compatible with the Westminster? Yes, I would. Hmm. It's like it, it said. It says you know six days. I think so. I mean, the Bible also says six days, but 
there's a, lo a long tradition of that being interpreted in, in all sorts of ways, even way before Darwin existed. So, all right, interesting. Well, strongly disagree, but well, I'll be debating that in uh, in December with uh, not this is December. I'll be debating that sometime this winter with Keith Fosky. So yeah, Keith's we'll a good guy. Time. Cool. Yeah, he's great. yeah, I'll I'll check it out when it comes out. I'm sure it'll be interesting. Um, and you know, I I I I'm. Sounds kind of funny, but I'm kind of glad that you affirm evolution because, um, you know, in two to five years, that's going to be a great testimony. Um, and I think God will use you powerfully as you condemn evolution huh? because inevitably <laughs> I absolutely believe you will. <laughs> we'll, so. we'll see about that. We'll see about that. It, kind of like, kind of like how you're going to become Presbyterian in a few years. <laughs> that's the running joke. Uh, that is, yeah. that's been the joke online and, uh, I see how people get there. Yeah, everyone says everyone says I'm a week away from becoming Catholic, and they've been saying that for like as long as I've been an internet thing at all, like a year. Or so, yeah, the whole Catholic argument of you know, well, you Protestants are crazy and believe a million different things. I, you know, I, I get it, uh, but then, but then here's the thing: you look at the Pope, <laughs> you know, and explain to me how that's better again. <laughs> explain I to me how. The Pope is not nearly as liberal as what I've seen in mainline Protestant denominations. It's like, I'll still grant that Catholicism has been less high, hijacked than Protestantism has, but for sure. I think you could use that as an argument for Protestantism. The devil hijacks what is the greatest threat to him. I think the greatest threat to Satan's kingdom is Protestantism. That's why it's been so targeted. Um, yep. So. Like that would be another that. great conversation we could have one day is because uh, yeah. I, you know, when I think of the Protestant Reformation, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, so I'm grateful. I'm Protestant and, you know, but um, I'm grateful. Uh, and yeah. I think it was mostly good. But I, I do think in a very real sense um, that uh, the Protestant Reformation was opening uh, Pandora's box. And there's uh, there are certain things we just um, that have come out of that box that uh, that don't go back in that box. And um yeah. And that we are forever, uh, that, that Christendom is forever um, ha going to have to face some immense challenges because of the Protestant uh, Reformation. That when it comes to um, post-modernity and, um, and subjectivism, uh, like when it comes to just assurance of salvation, like I understand, I don't know if you've read much about like the federal vision, you know, controversy oh, yeah. and things like that. But like, I understand I'm sympathetic in what they were trying to get at. I'm not, I'm no federal visionist. Um, I, you know, but I, I think that part of it was this attempt of without embracing Roman Catholicism, trying to say like, is there any ob objectivity to the covenant? Is there any sense of assurance? Is there any, like, can I ever, you know, or, or we as Protestants just going to be looking for the burning of our bosom, you know, like in this, kind of you know, like to, you know, well, I, I'm a Christian because I, because I feel it. Like so much of Protestantism is the feels and, uh, and that, that you can't, you can't really un, that, that doesn't go back in the box. Like you, you separated yeah. from uh, tradition and from the Roman Catholic church and uh, rejected these things. And I understand why theologically I'm on the Protestant side, but there are some immense challenges when it comes to uh, Pro Protestantism is just, it's, it's moldable, it's malleable, it's yeah. subjective, um, way think, more subjective I than I like. Vision, yeah. I think federal vision was a justified reaction to subjectivism and low sacramentology in the PCA and the OPC. Cause 
like what federal vision teaches about the sacraments aside from fatal communion it's just classic reform theology um now i fatal communion contradicts the westminster and scott's confession so i reject fatal communion but the whole idea that baptism makes you christian objectively that's classic reform theology um the idea that the covenant is objective that's classic reform theology so i'm not a federal visionist but the idea that people are calling this heresy it's like some people will call federal visionists heretics because they're half Lutheran, but they don't call Lutherans heretics. It, it makes yeah, I know sense. that. That's what. Yeah, that's what I don't get. It's like, yeah. I well, I do get it. I, it's it really is this simple. Um, it's associated with Doug Wilson. That's all there is <laughs> yeah, to there it. Is a, I mean, that really is all all there is to it because because you're right because it's it's like well, this is a halfway house between Luther, you know Lutheranism and you know yeah. uh, Presbyterianism, and it's like okay, well, are Lutherans heretics? No. Presbyterian heretics? No. Though. It's a, It's not. A lot of it's just classic reform stuff. The reality is the PCA is a halfway house between Presbyterian and Southern Baptist. Um, and I've had many PCA ministers admit that to me. Uh, but like Peter Lightheart, in terms of the theological aspect, he's probably the most hardcore federal visionist in terms right. of his, you know, theology. Um, my PCUSA pastor has quoted Peter Lightheart, so. Um, I feel like the conservative end of the PCUSA, like I said, it's kind of just, it's very similar to the Federal Vision CREC guys minus the Pado Communion. Yeah. Um, PCUSA was never rocked by the Federal Vision controversy. We were too busy debating whether to believe in God. So we don't really, <laughs> take, a, we don't really take a side on that. But um, Oh, that's so sad. That yeah, but so that's, sad. Not, that's not what we're trying to fix. I think the reason the mainline churches got hijacked, they're a threat to Satan's kingdom. There's a reason... There's a reason there was no progressive hijack of the Jehovah's Witnesses or right. the Mormon Church right. or or Scientology. There's there's no Jehovah's Witness pride flag church, right? right. Um, it's because Satan doesn't bother retaking them. There, there's a reason that there's no progressive hijack of Islam. It's not a threat to Satan's kingdom. So hmm. it's like when Eastern Orthodox, yes, I will admit, of all the Christianity you know, expressions, Eastern Orthodoxy has been the least hijacked by progressivism. And they're right. like, oh, that means we're right. Become Orthodox. Okay. By that logic, Islam is correct because Islam has gotten even less hijacked by progressivism than Eastern Orthodoxy. Right. So right. the most hijacked is, I think, honestly, the most hijacked is the, you know, Puritan congregationalist, um, hardcore Calvinist denominations out of everything I think those are the ones that are would be most glorious if we if we retook. And congregationalism is a via media between Presbyterian and Baptist. So maybe that's something that the um, CREC folks could get on board with. Right. Yeah, and they are. On, on, I think the CREC folks already are on board with. Um, yeah, they're, they're the most ecumenical to, you know, at least reformed, you know, reformed Baptist guys. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're just a typical American you know, Arminian Baptist and you're not going to have much room there, but, but yeah, I, I know lots of guys who are, you know, they're 1689 congregational guys and they're in the CREC. So yeah, cool. Well, redeemed zoomer. Um, thank you, Richard. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. This is great. You're welcome. God bless.